Educator here to discuss week nine college football Devi standouts, and we're gonna do a little rookie trick or treat because it is Halloween week. I'm back at it after taking a week off, stepped away last weekend, uh, stepped down into nature, a little bit of time to rest and recover because we're getting into it, folks. We are getting into the prime of draft season, and I know that may sound like it's early, but rookie big board patrons starting this week. We're going to start getting some 2024 NFL draft evaluations, preliminary draft evaluations for some of the top guys in the class. Folks, if you are listening to this podcast each and every week and you are not subscribed over at patreon.com slash rookie big board, you are missing out. Now is the time to get in on it. Ask everybody in the rookie big board discord. I bet the majority of them will tell you one of the big advantages of the rookie big board is that you stay ahead of your league mates and you want access to the draft evaluations, the full player breakdowns and the rankings, which will change a lot and really consistently here over the next few months, even before every Everybody else starts to catch up and is really just following behind here. But with that being said, let's go ahead. Let's get into it. Week nine college football Devi standouts. We have a lot of standouts this week. It's going to be a little bit longer of a segment than normal, but I think it was a pretty positive week and not just at the top teams here. We're going to really go around the league here. It's a little bit of a focus on the 2024 class for sure, but 2025 also stepped up this week, which is really encouraging for us overall. But we have to start with the 2024 class, and we have to start with a position that's been relatively disappointing. Running back one is still open for grabs. I'm leaning towards Braylon Allen at this point in time, but my goodness, Travion Henderson made a really strong argument for him. This was the first game that Travion Henderson was back since September 23rd. He missed over a month With the injury, it was nagging him at the start of the season. They shut him down for a month. Hopefully he's back. Hopefully he's fully healthy with that lower body injury. And he sure looked at this week against Wisconsin. 24 carries for 162 yards at 6.8 yards per carry. He had a touchdown. He also had four receptions for 45 yards. Ohio State established it on the ground. Trayvon Henderson was a big part of that here. The key with Henderson is we need to see that explosiveness. We need to see that burstiness. And we need to see it consistently over time here. Another running back from the class of 2024 that did stand out this week was Devin Neal. Devin Neal was a huge reason that Kansas pulled the upset of undefeated number six Oklahoma this week. He went 25 for 112, four and a half yards per carry. And I know that may not sound like a ton, but with a backup quarterback in for Kansas, Neal was critical to establishing the tempo of that game, establishing the pace of the offense, despite the fact that Oklahoma knew Devin Neal was going to be carrying the ball a ton. Neal also had two receptions for 12 yards on the season. Devin Neal has now has 771 rushes on 100 or 771 rushing yards on 115 attempts. That's over six and a half yards per attempt. He has seven touchdowns. He has 19 receptions for nearly 200 yards. 
so Devin Neal, he's getting it done on the ground. He's getting it done through the air. He continues to move up in the rookie big board rankings. Every time I do an update, Devin Neal has creeped up more and more. He's currently running back four for me in the 2024 class. And folks, that trajectory could just continue to go up. Keep working our way around the country here. Quarterback Carson Beck out of Georgia deserves some respect. Carson Beck, 19 for 28 this past week against Florida. That's 68% completion. He had 315 yards, he had two touchdowns, he had zero interceptions. Carson Beck has been a critical part of this Georgia passing attack this year. And overall, you know, Georgia has looked less dominant than in the past, but that's a really high bar. And I think one thing that we're not discussing enough is the fact that Carson Beck has stepped up in an offense that throws the ball a lot more than Georgia normally does. You know, for, for all the credit that Stetson Bennett deserves over the course of his college career, it was always a run first. It was that traditional Georgia run first team. The injuries have really not allowed Georgia to be that run first rotate through three or four or five star guy type offense. And so Carson Beck has had to step up and he's had to throw the ball and now he's lost his top target in Brock Bowers and he's still throwing the ball for over 300 yards a game. And yeah, maybe Florida's not the best SEC defense, but they have a pretty solid front seven. You know, they're at least middle of the road for an SEC uh, front seven. Uh, so for Carson Beck to be able to sit in the pocket, you know, the mechanics looked good. The decision-making looks good. On the season now, he has 2,462 yards. He's completed 73% of nearly 200 passing attempts, and he has a 14-4 to touchdown interception ratio. Carson Beck, he's going to get a lot of NFL scouts' eyes on him because he's leading this Georgia offense, and he's doing it in a very competent, very poised, very composed way. So I'm not sitting here and telling you that Carson Beck is entering the first-round draft conversation or anything to that degree, but I do think right now, you know, if he decides to declare after this year and he is 2024 eligible, he would be at least a day-three selection, and he'd certainly be somebody that would get a lot of discussion. Quinchon Judkins here. Let's pivot off of the class of 2024 here for a second, and let's talk about Quinchon Judkins because earlier this season I expressed my uh, very uh, you know loud concerns here with Quinchon Judkins. You know he rushed for over 1,600 yards as a true freshman at Ole Miss, and he was going as a top one, two, three uh, Devi startup selection this offseason. A lot of hopes and a lot of expectations for Quinchon Judkins, and if you look at his first four games of the season, it was massively disappointing. He had 57 carries for 201 yards and four touchdowns over his first four games of the season. Now, this last weekend against Vandy here, he went 17 for 124. That's over seven yards a carry, and he found the end zone twice. The week prior to that against Auburn, he carries the ball 21 times. He finds 100 over 100 yards again, and he finds the end zone against the Tigers. So if you look at his last four games overall for Quinchon Judkins, he's 89 rushing attempts, he's 490 rushing yards, and he's five touchdowns. He's looking a lot closer to the Quinchon Judkins that put up ridiculous level stats last season, right? You know, if you extrapolate that, you know, month-long span, if he was able to do that consistently here, finish out the season, he's still going to be close, not not quite to his performance level of last year, but he's going to be close to that performance level that we were expecting from him this year. And he's going to have a real shot at, at pushing Nick Singleton uh, to be the running back one in the 2025 class. So the idea that we have a legitimate running back battle at the top of the 2025 class, it starts to give us a little bit of hope here that this might be stronger than we initially expected. We will get back to the 2024 class uh, later in this segment, but I have to make sure that we talk about Tez Walker. Devontez Walker, the transfer from Kent State. 
now playing for the UNC Tar Heels. And I haven't talked much about Tez Walker because, you know, he had a really weird offseason. So if you're not familiar here, Tez Walker transfers from Kent State to UNC. Uh, essentially, the NCAA, very close to the season opener uh, in fall camp, you know, rules that, that Tez Walker is ineligible to play this season because they do not grant his second transfer waiver. Uh, Tez Walker was at an FCS school uh, in during the COVID season, never played a game you know, for uh, that team, transferred to Kent State to play, and then transferred again to UNC. The NCAA decided just, you know, during fall camp that they wanted to start enforcing waivers. Uh, UNC appeals, gets denied, appeals again. Eventually, for whatever reason, Tez Walker is finally on the field, and thank goodness that he is. He's 6'3", he's 200 pounds, he is 2024 eligible, and he has been absolutely balling out since his return. Now, this last week, he went three receptions for 76 yards against Georgia Tech, 25 yards per uh, completion here per reception for Tez Walker, but that's actually his worst performance since coming back. He's played four games since returning, and he has 26 receptions for 397 yards. That's over 15 yards per reception, and he has four touchdowns. The UNC offense has been transformed. Drake May looks incredibly better with Tez Walker on the field. The running game, Amarion Hampton, who we talked about uh, the last episode here, he's looked better. The offense has overall looked better and more balanced. It's scoring more points. The defense still is not helping them out, and they've taken a couple L's because of that. But Tez Walker now, you know, I've, he's actually not been on the rookie big board for 2024 because I just always thought he was going to, you know, have to sit this year out or even once he got eligibility I thought he'd really be a 2025 guy but now I think we have to talk about him legitimately in the 2024 conversation and I think we need to talk about him legitimately in that top 75 to top 100 pick conversation because he is somebody who has really impressed even in a short span here moving up from Kent State to UNC another uh, wide receiver here that I want to talk about is Dane Key the wide receiver out of Kentucky now Dane Key is 2025 eligible he's a true sophomore he has nice size, 6'3", 195. This last week against Tennessee, he went 7 for 113, 7 receptions for 113 yards and a touchdown. Now, the Kentucky offense, man, Devin Leary has struggled this year, which is really disappointing because uh, if you go back two off seasons ago, Devin Leary had really nice tape at NC State. He struggled last year. I thought that moved to Kentucky. Uh, would really bump him up, especially because he was throwing the ball to Barry and Brown, to Tavion Robinson, to Dane Key. You know, some really talented wide receivers there for Kentucky. Uh, but it was Dane Key who stepped up against Tennessee this past week when Devin Leary finally put it together. So I think we may see more Dane Key moving forward on the season. 24 receptions for 395 yards and three touchdowns. I hope we see a lot more of it. But if we don't, then Dane Key will be a really sneaky sleeper pick heading into next year's uh, offseason. Quarterback Michael Pratt for Tulane. He's 2024 eligible, and he's somebody who's actually getting a little bit of draft buzz here. Now, I would say at this point, you know, maybe compare Michael Pratt to Jake Hayner, you know, that day three guy performing at a high level for the FCS, uh, you know, leading Tulane to a national ranking right now. Uh, this past week against Rice, he completed 73% of his 30 passing attempts. He had 263 passing yards. He had two touchdowns. And then on the ground, he rushed the ball 12 times for 40 yards and another touchdown there. Overall, on this season, he's completed 71% of his 143 passing attempts for over 1,300 yards. He has a 14-3 to 
touchdown to interception ratio, and he's rushed the ball 59 times for 231 yards and four touchdowns. Now, when you're talking about a G5 quarterback, there are certain things that NFL teams are going to be looking for, especially because traditionally, if you're playing at the G5, right, you probably don't have that raw level of athleticism. Uh, Michael Pratt does have a good level of athleticism, but not a super high ceiling on that. So what are we looking for? We're looking for somebody who protects the ball, 71% completion rate, 14 to three touch on interception ratio. And you're looking for somebody who's going to be successful, right? NFL front offices do care about win rate. I know win rate isn't a quarterback stat, but guess what? NFL front offices care about it. And Michael Pratt is undefeated this year with Tulane. Tulane did lose to Old Miss. Michael Pratt was injured for that game. Otherwise, the green uh, wave are, are really... Uh, outperforming, I don't know about outperforming expectations, but they're certainly performing at a high level here. And Michael Pratt is a big reason for it. He is the type of guy who could stay for another year. I believe he has one more year of eligibility. He could cash in on that COVID eligibility, uh, be 2025 class. But let's go ahead and let's see what happens because I do think if Michael Pratt declared, you know, he could go through the senior bowl circuit still because uh, he will graduate. And he could really kind of be that that guy that, you know, really stands out from the group of five. Jaden Ott, the running back out of Cal, he's 2025 eligible. He had a big game against USC. You know, he's he went 21 for 153 and three touchdowns. It's really interesting with Jaden Ott. You know, some games he is just the focal point and he just absolutely balls out. He has three games of 150 plus yards on the season. He has 125 attempts for 754 rushing yards and eight touchdowns. But yet it's almost like you would never know about him because he only pops up every two or three weeks because Cal basically just gets schemed out of relevance in the running game, right? And then it's hard for Jaden Knott to get going. Opposing defenses know to lock in on Jaden Knott because I can't tell you the last time Cal had a, uh, a quarterback that was worth paying attention to, right? Um, so of uh, uh, Davis Webb, <laughs> I think Davis Webb is the last relevant Cal quarterback I could tell you about here. So here, here's my point in bringing up Jaden Knott on his own. I do think he's a legitimate, you know, top five, top six running back here in the 2025 class. But I think Jaden Ott is exactly the type of guy that will be a key target in the transfer market this off season. And so if you have Jaden Ott on your Devi team, or if you can try to acquire Jaden Ott as like a throw in on a trade at some point over the next month or so, I think he's somebody who could see a huge jump in his Devi value this off season. If he transfers to a, a bigger market team, uh, one that's going to help kind of get him in more rhythm and show him off a little bit more, uh, a running back that I just want to toss on your radar. I just want to toss him on your radar. He's kind of, you know, flying a little bit under the radar. Um, he is 2024 eligible, but I don't think he would declare. I think he would wait until 2025. It's the Western Kentucky transfer now playing at Boston College, 60216. That's Kyle Robichaud. All right, so Kyle Robichaud against UConn this past week, 23 rushing attempts for 112 yards and two touchdowns. Against Georgia Tech the week before, 21 rushing attempts for 165 yards and two touchdowns. So he missed some time earlier this season with injury, uh, but overall in the season, he has 99 rushing attempts for 495 yards and six touchdowns. Like I said, you know, in terms of his eligibility, he has the ability to come back to Boston College next year, but I think he could be that dude that just absolutely gets featured in the offense next year, ends up with, you know, 300 plus carries, double digit touchdowns, late day three guy, 
but I just want to throw them on your radar. That's what we do here at the Rookie Big Board. There is no stone unturned, all right? We're covering all classes. We're talking about all value levels. I'm not just going to sit here on this podcast and just tell you about the same five guys that you can hear about in every podcast, right? The Rookie Big Board, we dig deep. And so just put Kyle Robichaud on your radar. And speaking of, of digging deep here, uh, the Sickos would know about Nick Harbour. The Sickos for sure would know about Nick Harbour, but I wouldn't blame you if you didn't. He's 2026 20, eligible, so he's a true freshman. He's playing at the University of South Carolina. He was the 15th overall recruit in his class, his past recruiting class. He was the first athlete in his class. And I say athlete because this man, folks, 6'5", 6'5", 241 pounds. The full expectation when he was recruited, because he's 6'5", 241 pounds, and a freaky athlete, everybody say it along with me at home, he's probably playing edge, right? That's where you would want him to play. That's where South Carolina wanted him to play. But Nick Harbour, he really made a point to that coaching staff. He wanted to play wide receiver. And he has come out this season as a wide receiver. This past weekend, six receptions for 59 yards against Texas A&M. The week before, he had two receptions for 50 yards against Mizzou. And the week before, he had one reception for 45 yards against the University of Florida. Folks, these are huge plays being made by a guy who, again, is 6'5", 241. He's a true freshman for South Carolina. The Gamecocks season, it's in the tank here. We're going to get to see more and more Nick Harbour. And as we head into next season, he's going to be a featured part of this offense, right? So it's going to be really, really fun to watch him play over the next couple of years. He's somebody that you should absolutely be prioritizing towards the top of your radar for Debbie drafts next offseason because he's probably not somebody who would have been drafted as a true freshman this year because most folks, you know, well through the Devi startup draft season and supplemental draft season, well through that point in time, we expected Nicholas Harbour to play defense. But at least until this point in time, South Carolina has shown that not only are they going to play him on offense, but that he is really productive as a true freshman wide receiver. That's a rare thing to see in the SEC. Two more guys that I want to talk about here, uh, because like I said, it's a little bit longer of a segment, but it was a really exciting week nine of college football here. Malik Washington, the wide receiver out of Virginia. He's 5'8", 194, 2024 eligible, transfer from Northwestern. I believe he's out of eligibility, so he would be in the 2024 draft. Day three guy, but I want him on your radar here. 12 receptions for 152 yards against the Hurricanes here. Virginia Almost upset Miami, took him to overtime against UNC, who Virginia did upset. Malik Washington was 12 for 115 with a touchdown on the season. 68 receptions for 935 yards and six touchdowns. That exceeds his best season at Northwestern. Uh, with still plenty of season left here for the Cavaliers. So Malik Washington, that production level, and the fact that, folks, he put up big games against big teams, that's important, all right? And it sounds simple, right? But NFL scouts are going to be watching the Miami defense because they're going to be scouting players on that Miami defense. They're going to be scouting players on the UNC defense, and they're going to see Malik Washington performing at a high level, right? So he's probably, like I said, a day three guy, but I want him on your radar, probably playing in the slot in the NFL, uh, but certainly somebody to keep an eye on. One more here, one more. It's Ollie Gordon II out of Oklahoma State. And Ollie Gordon, folks, has just been absolutely popping off. Some would call it 
you know, an absolute slight that he hasn't been mentioned on the Rookie Big Board podcast yet. And some would be correct. All right, he's 6'1". He's 211 pounds. And folks, he's 2025 eligible. He's a 2025 eligible running back with some good size. And I'm about to give you some pretty good production here. So again, just another feather here in the, in the, the 2025 class cap. All right, so against Cincinnati this past weekend, Ollie Gordon, 25 carries, 271 yards, three touchdowns. Week before, against the West Virginia University Mountaineers, 29 carries for 282 yards and four touchdowns. Against the Kansas Jayhawks the week before that, 29 carries for 168 yards and a touchdown. I know you're saying, oh, wow, compared to 280 yards, it doesn't sound that great. Ah, let's throw in six receptions for 116 receiving yards and a touchdown there. And then against the Kansas State Wildcats, 21 carries for 136 yards and a touchdown. On the season, 142 carries for nearly 1,100 yards, averaging over 7.5 yards per carry. And he's already hit double-digit touchdowns on the season. Folks, if you were to pay attention to what was going on uh, in Stillwater, you would know just how critical Ollie Gordon has been to the success here of this Oklahoma State team. They've got some big games coming up. They have Oklahoma. If they were able to upset Oklahoma, they would actually have an inside track to the Big Ten Championship game, or sorry, the Big 12 Championship game, which would just be absolutely nuts for the fact that Oklahoma State spent the first month of the season rotating between three quarterbacks, one of which is the coach's kid. So Ollie Gordon, man, he, he has been a huge part of this offense, and he's somebody who I cannot wait to put under the microscope uh, and really do a full film eval on next summer because uh, I do think he's going to be a really fun addition to the 2025 class so there you have it folks we are covering all corners of the country all value levels all three classes that are eligible to be talked about those are your week nine devi standouts all right folks you know what time it is it's time for the troy franklin segment hey it's franklin Coming over to play. Hey, it's Franklin. Troy Franklin was out there against Utah, one of the uh, most hyped up defenses in the Pac-12, playing in the one of the most hyped up, rightly so, difficult environments to play in at elevation. And he just went out there and he did Troy Franklin things. Eight receptions for Troy Franklin for 99 yards and a touchdown against the Utes. He helped Oregon absolutely dominate that Utah defense. 52 receptions on the season for Troy Franklin. 867 yards, over 16 and a half yards per reception. And he now has nine touchdowns in eight games. So there you have it, folks. The update on Troy Franklin is that he is still doing Troy Franklin things. All right, folks, we're going to finish out this week's episode with a little Halloween theme here. What I've done, I'm calling it a little rookie trick or treat. I want to talk about some of the rookies that have stood out over the month of October. They're kind of building momentum, you know, are just more notable at this point in the season. But we're also talking about some bad pieces of candy here. Uh, some guys that just have not been able to uh, either get it going or I think are misleading in terms of their value. So I got eight guys total. And what I've done is I've uh, compared them all to a piece of candy, a piece of candy that you could find uh, in your uh, pillowcase or your trick-or-treat basket of choice. 
uh, this upcoming week. And let's start with Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison, you know, my, my comparison for him is a Milky Way. He wasn't the top option in the draft. A lot of people overthought it. A lot of people, you know, wanted to take JSN over him. You know, Jordan Addison, he was kind of just a second thought through the whole, you know, draft experience. And I just sat there, man, at 107, 108, 109, 110. And I just soaked up so much Jordan Addison. He went uh, seven for 82 and a touchdown uh, this past week here. He went uh, the week before against San Francisco, seven for 10. 123 yards and two touchdowns. Those seven touchdowns, folks, exceeded even my most optimistic expectations. 36 receptions, 482 yards. He's getting it done. I love his ability to get it done in the deep field. He's been really consistently productive. You know, with Justin Jefferson out, he has stepped up. The question will be here, what does Jordan Addison's role look like now that Kirk Cousins is likely done for the entire season? What does that quarterback situation look like for Minnesota? Do they go out on the trade deadline, which is coming up very soon, and add in some talent there? It'll be really interesting to see. But I just feel like, man, Jordan Addison, regardless of what happens, he's going to be consistent. I love that Milky Way. It's never that first candy that you go to. But, man, you can't go wrong when you pop in the Milky Way. Next up here, we're going to talk about Bryce Young. All right, hang in with me, folks. Hang with me. Bryce Young, he's a Heath bar. All right, he's a Heath bar because it sounds gross, but you appreciate it with time. All right, I don't care what anybody says. Heath bar, it's a good candy. You can at me, and it sounds gross. It never looks good when you pull it out of the pile there, but you pop it in your mouth, you're going to be happy with it, okay? And here's why I'm saying this. Now, Bryce Young, first win of the season here for the Carolina Panthers. He got his first win as a pro, 22 for 31, 235 passing yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. The reason I want to make this point here is because I think people are panicking way too quickly on Bryce Young. All right, this this bar of, of immediate production and immediate success from a rookie quarterback, it's not a realistic bar to set. And to make this point, I want to compare Bryce Young's first six games of the season, uh, of, of his season, to Trevor Lawrence's first six games of his career, okay? So if you look at Bryce Young, sorry, first five games of Bryce Young's season to Trevor Lawrence's, I did not add Bryce Young's stats from this past week, but it would actually help his argument out. All right, so Bryce Young threw his first five games of his career, 115 for 182, 63% completion, 967 passing yards, six touchdowns to four interceptions. You pull the first five games of Trevor Lawrence's career, you get 104 for 175, so pretty much the same amount of attempts, all right? 59% completion, so four less attempts. Trevor Lawrence did have more passing yards, 1,146, but he had a much worse touchdown-interception ratio, six touchdowns to eight interceptions. Now, of course, fast forward now, Trevor Lawrence, he's a dynasty quarterback one. You know, he's solidly, for most folks, in that, like, six to nine range. On the season, he's redraft quarterback 13 heading into this past week. Uh, so he's a really solid locked-in dynasty quarterback one. And I'm not saying that Bryce Young is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence was a higher-graded prospect for me coming out. Um, but Bryce Young was a highly-ranked prospect for me. And he doesn't have to be Trevor Lawrence to be a really solid quarterback. I think he's going to land in that borderline quarterback one dynasty. Give him some time, folks. Give him some time to let the game catch up to him. Recognize the fact that he does not have a great supporting cast around him. And I think Bryce Young, you know, early on, he's been forcing the ball. I think you could see the way that he's struggling to process and read the field that he's forcing the ball. The game's feeling a little fast to him. With time, 
with experience. That game will slow down. Hopefully, Carolina adds some pieces around him that could help support him as the game catches up to him. I think what's good, you know, even in the fact that he's making some bad decisions and he's struggling with decision making overall. You know, he is, you know, six to four touchdown interception ratio. It's not great, but it's not horrendous. A 63% completion rate, it's not the best, but it's not horrendous, right? So he's he's not tanking. He's not totally off the rails. We're holding him to a high bar, and he hasn't met that high standard yet. But there is time, folks. You have to let the rookie quarterback get into year two, get into year three. I didn't even do the Josh Allen stats. I didn't do the Jalen Hurts stats. That didn't feel fair for his prototype. But neither one of those guys would have even been close to Bryce Young's stats over the first couple, uh, you know, months of his of his uh, pro career here. So let's just give Bryce Young some time, like a Heath bar. Don't make judgments too quickly here. Just give it a shot. Hang on in with him. I do think he's going to level into being a dynasty quarterback. One next up here is Josh Downs. And hear me out, folks. Josh Downs flavored Tootsie Rolls. All right. So I'm talking about the the different color Tootsie Rolls you can get, like the blue ones or the orange ones or the the tan yellow ones, because uh, those things are absolutely phenomenal. They are severely underrated. And up until this point in the season, folks, Josh Downs is October. Is, is completely underrated. I'm going to put out the, the rookie of the month uh, poll again, and I think Josh Downs might win rookie of the month. Maybe I'm skewing the stats ahead of time here, uh, but you know, head on over to my Twitter account. I'm going to post that up today uh, for you, but I think Josh Downs might win. You know, you look at him on the season, a huge month of October. See, he went seven for 72 against the Saints this past week. He now has 40 receptions for 473 yards and two touchdowns. So I, I mentioned earlier, you know, Jordan Addison's uh, receiving yards, they're basically even for receiving yards. Now, Josh Downs, less touchdowns, uh, but he has six plus targets in six out of his eight games. It's always a concern when a talented player, a rookie that you like ends up in the slot, but you can be productive out of the slot. What do you need? You need volume. Josh Downs has gotten that volume. There's a little bit of a caveat to this to say that volume has increased with Gardner Minshew. But like I said, at six out of eight games, he's had, he's had six plus targets. So the targets were there with Anthony Richardson as well. I don't know that Downs is ever going to be a double-digit touchdown guy. But if he can get to 900 yards and five touchdowns, man, he's going to be a reliable wide receiver for your fantasy football lineups. Just like those flavored Tootsie Rolls, man, they're reliable. They are a reliable addition to your trick-or-treat candy. All right, Jameer Gibbs here, two-pack of Starburst. You know what I'm talking about, that little two-pack of Starburst? You can't see what colors the Starburst are. That's Jameer Gibbs because you're not quite sure what you're going to get, right? You could get week seven Jameer Gibbs where he goes 11 on the ground for 68 rushing yards and a touchdown, and then he gets... Uh, nine receptions on 10 targets for 58. You know, you get that double pink, that starburst pack, and he smashes and he puts up a big game for you. But then, you know, Dan Campbell, he might throw you an orange-yellow game where you just get that, you know, just dreaded combination of starbursts there. But I think the big thing for Jameer Gibbs, for me moving forward here, uh, he's 23 receptions out of 28 targets. That's going to be the key moving forward. And those receptions are going to help him have more pink games than yellow games. Uh, so two-pack of Starburst here. It's Jameer Gibbs. I'm happy. I'm happy to take that risk. Just like you're going to take that risk every single time opening up that Starburst. All right, here we go. This is the best one here. I'm not backing down from it. I'm not backing down from any aspect of this take. I do not care. Quinton Johnston is candy corn, all right? He's divisive, and he's and he's bad, all right? That's Quentin Johnston. Divisive, bad, candy corn, all right? And I am recording this before the Chargers game, 
So maybe he for somehow gets 10 receptions for 150 yards and three touchdowns and I look like a fool, but I will not wind the tape back because even if that happens up until this point, he has 15 receptions on the season. I'm sorry, he has 15 targets on the season. He has seven receptions. That's a 43% completion rate, folks. He has 64 yards. He has zero touchdowns through six games. And that's with Michael Williams out. Mike Williams is out, folks. And Quentin Johnston can't make an impact. You know, I was yelling all offseason that Quentin Johnston was not worth this high draft pick, man. There were so many folks that made Quentin Johnston wide receiver one, wide receiver two. And listen, there's time. He's got time. He could develop. He could, you know, end up getting to this place where he's a productive wide receiver two. I put in my projections like, I, I did the, the Chargers projections this offseason, and I finessed it every which way. And no matter how I plugged the stats in, there was no way that I could I could plug the numbers in and not give Quentin Johnston, you know, like 85 targets and 500 receiving yards and, and five touchdowns because there was just so much volume and so much opportunity in this offense. And my goodness, what those projections would have looked like if, if I knew Michael Williams was going to miss most of the season. But it's not Quentin Johnston getting those targets. It's, jo- it's Josh Palmer. And it would be one thing if Josh Palmer was out here just just ripping it off, just just tearing the game apart, right? But what's Josh Palmer doing? He's got 20 receptions for 35 yards, 57% catch rate, all right? 353 yards and a touchdown. So all apologies to Josh Palmer, Vol for life. Love you, Josh. Josh Palmer's not not crushing the game. So, So Quentin Johnston is stuck behind somebody who's not even performing at a high level in an offense with extreme volume. So yeah, I said it, Quentin Johnson's candy corn. He's divisive and he's not good. All right, this one hurts me a little bit more here. It's Hendon Hooker. I'm I'm calling Hendon Hooker. It's a melted Twix bar. Okay, it's the Twix bar that you forgot about, fell out of the candy bag. It's just melting on the car seat. You know, you're you're looking for a snack, you're digging around in the car, the, the Twix comes out out of the center council or something like that, but it's all melted up. It, you know, it once had a lot of hope, all right, but it's just not looking good. It still could be good, you know, because sometimes it melts, it, it reseals, you know, it gets hard again, and it's it's not bad. But it, I, here's my point here. Jared Goff is looking good, right? So the whole thing with Hendon Hooker is, you know, I like the skill set coming out, and I thought he projected well. But the big thing was I thought he'd have a legitimate shot at a quarterback battle with Jared Goff heading into next season. But, folks, Detroit's doing good. Jared Goff is doing good. Jared Goff is currently quarterback seven for fantasy football purposes, 68% completion. He has over 1,900 yards. He's got an 11-4 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. This is peak Jared Goff. This is why they traded for Jared Goff. It's a, it, I'm having a tough time seeing Hendon Hooker make a legitimate impact uh, next offseason. What I'm not telling you to do is trade Hendon Hooker because you're going to be trading him pennies on the dollar. Hang on to Hendon Hooker. Injuries happen. Things happen. I do still think when Hendon Hooker gets his shot, because he'll get a shot eventually, I do think when he gets his shot, he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Uh, just like that, Twix could still be good, all right? But maybe you don't want to eat it right away. You don't want to, you know, do anything with it right away. Throw it, throw it in the freezer, <laughs> put it on ice, get it back to, you know, close to its original status here. That's that's uh, a little bit of a twisted metaphor here. But Hendon Hooker, Melted Twix Bar. I got two more to go here. Tajay Spears. Tajay Spears is a Three Musketeers, okay? Because here's what's happening with the Three Musketeers. And if you like Three Musketeers, you're absolutely lying to yourself. I don't want to hear it. Three Musketeers, that's the candy you eat when all the other options are gone. And you just convince yourself that it's a good idea, it's a good option. But it's not a good option, okay? Tajay Spears, 
He's got 34 carries for 204 yards and a touchdown through week seven. I think a lot of folks over the last week or two have been getting excited because he did put up one good game. Uh, possibility that Derrick Henry gets traded over the next couple days here leading up to the trade deadline. Even if that happens, we got a Tennessee offense going in the wrong direction overall. I know Will Levis, great game. Not going to touch on that. We'll get more into that in the future. Uh, but overall, Tennessee, I don't think they're going in a positive trajectory. Pause. And remember, remember, I feel like folks are just going to bury this in the back of their head. They're going to forget about it. Tajay Spears, through the medical checks, this offseason, through the combine medical checks, had a legitimate long-term knee injury here where his career span will be limited. We don't know exactly how long, but that type of injury has limited folks to four or five years in the NFL before. All right, we're halfway through one of those years already. The, the, the chances of Tajay Spears hitting big at this point in time, I just think it's really unlikely. And I think he's that guy that's easy for you to convince yourself. Let's go out and let's buy him now. You know, oh, maybe I could spend a 2024 second round pick to get Tajay Spears. Now, do not do that. All right. I know some of the other options might be gone. But just like a Three Musketeers, it's not worth it. Save the calories, all right, for the 2024 draft. Michael Meyer, last guy I want to talk about. I really struggled. I wanted to talk about Michael Mayer because he's having a good couple weeks. Uh, and if I say his name Michael Meyer, then it's really Halloween-themed. So I'm, I'm pushing this metaphor a little bit. I'm going with a reverse Sour Patch Kids. So everybody knows Sour Patch Kids, first they're sweet, then they're sour. Michael Meyer, Michael Mayer in the Raiders offense. First, he was sour. He wasn't really being used. And now it's getting kind of sweet. He's being used here. Uh, over the last three weeks, he has nine receptions on 13 targets. Overall in the season, that's 10 receptions for 15 targets. So really, all of his all of his damage has been done over the last three weeks. And again, this is being recorded before Monday Night Football when the Raiders play. Uh, so hopefully you're listening to this and you'll pay more attention to him tonight. And he'll go off and make me sound really smart. But the targets are increasing, and more importantly, he's passing the eye test. If you're watching him play, he's got good hands. They're starting to use him a little bit more downfield. He looks like he's more of a part of this offense. And so there's a lot to like about Michael Mayer. First he was sour, now he's getting sweet. And there you have it. It's a rookie trick or treat on top of the Troy Franklin segment, on top of the Week 9 Debbie standouts. That's what we got here. A little bit longer episode from the Rookie Big Board. Like I mentioned at the top, folks, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, Preliminary draft evaluations. This is film evaluations. Like my my almost locked in takes on these guys are starting to come out and they're going to start coming out for the top guys in the NFL draft here this week. You want to get in on the rookie big board now. It's prime time. You can head on over to patreon.com slash rookie big board. It's just $5. If you sign up for the annual sub, you get 15% off of that. It's a great uh, community to get into with the Discord, especially as we get into draft season. If you are already thinking about how you can retool, rebuild your rosters heading into next season, I'm biased, but I don't think there's a better product out there. I don't think there's a better resource out there. And I can tell you confidently there's not a better community out there than the Rookie Big Board. So to get in on it, head on over to patreon.com slash rookiebigboard. And as always, I appreciate you checking out this episode of the Rookie Big Board. Rookie Big Board.